Turning your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And uh, I'm going to look, I'm going to read another scripture here in a moment, but you don't have to turn there. Last week we got a, a glimpse of final things or last things. Or almost last things. We looked at Revelation 21 and, and saw how God's restorative, redeeming work ends. There in Revelation 21, and, and uh, Brandon said that I painted a picture. Really, I tried to just read and, and talk about what the Bible says there about final things. The new heaven and the new earth and the new holy Jerusalem coming down from heaven. But in case you missed it. Or are thirsty for another glimpse if you were here and, and you just want to see and picture more. I am going to read Revelation 22 verses 1 through 5 and chapters 21 and 22 go together. And so I would just encourage you to read these on your own when you have time and allow these beautiful pictures to seep into your soul. Let me read Revelation 22 1 through 5. It says, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants will serve him. And they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of light of a lamp. Nor the light of the sun. Because the Lord God will illumine them. And they will reign forever and ever. I love that. I love that. We see these things in Revelation about the end times, the, the final things, the new heaven, the new earth, and I have to be honest, while they're a beautiful picture, and maybe they help us see, zoom out and see some things more clearly, the fact that they are so laden with symbolism, uh, maybe we could call esoteric things, or, or things that are so far removed from anything that we experience here on earth, we read them and we hear them. And yet we keep them a little bit to arm's length because we don't know what to do with them. For instance, to think about being in heaven and there not being a sun, that blazing star, but there is light. And that God himself and, and the Lamb, they are the source of light. And yet we're going to be face to face. Some of those things confuse us a little bit and make us just scratch our heads. And I think that we do sometimes, we say about those things, Oh, wow, that's interesting. And we hear parts we like, and we say, man, that'll be beautiful. Won't that be grand then? And then we go on with life somewhat unchanged. But I'll tell you, this final restoration of creation, there is not a more important thing. There is not a more important piece of news or life-altering event than this. It's life-changing. And so today, we're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want us to take a little more applied approach to the things above. We're going to see some of these same ideas, same truths, new heaven and new earth, there in 2 Peter chapter 3. But, but I think that Peter's approach there is going to help us put it on our calendar. It's going to help us 
think about how do these truths and these realities of things to come impact us right now. You know, I was trying to think, what, what's something that, what's a, what's a piece of news that impacts our lives right now, but it's something to come? And in the last week, we've celebrated in our home our children's birthdays, both, both of them. And I thought about that. That's a, that's a life-altering piece of news when you hear, you're going to be a daddy. Or when the woman figures out, I'm pregnant. Especially that first one. There's not many times when I don't say things. <laughs> My mouth is always kind of running, you know. And when I got that news, you're going to be a daddy the first time. Uh, I think it did make a noise, at least. Man, my mind starts going crazy because it was, I was not expecting that. It was a life-altering piece of news that though there was a reality to it right then, I was thinking, you know, seven, eight months down the road when the fullness comes. <laughs> and that was life-altering. Here in our church, we've had several young families that just had a baby, some of them first babies in their family. And I can tell you, it has altered their life. There is change that comes. And it's so exciting. You know, you start thinking about maybe you have to buy a bigger home. Or, or in our case, we actually decided to sell our home and build a... And we had a two-bedroom and one bath and we decided to build a whole new home. I mean, there were just total life change that comes with that. And you're redecorating rooms and you're buying things. You're going from your sports car to your minivan or whatever. I mean, it's just life-altering <laughs> You can't imagine just rocking on with life. But, but I was thinking about a guy I worked with. He had 11 siblings. 11 siblings. And I thought, you know, maybe after 10 or 11, you're just like, whatever. I said, maybe you do that. I don't know. He talked about his dad called them by numbers because he couldn't remember their name later in life. So he were number 8, 9, and 10. That helped him kind of figure things out. And I thought, man, that's pretty sad. But it's life-altering. And this is life-altering news. In a very practical way, man, I mean, it changes the way we live as we think about the new creation, the new heaven, and the new earth. Or at least I think that's what we see in the book of St. Peter and in chapter 3. So that's where we're going to be this morning. And in the first two verses, we won't read, but Peter says, you know, this is my second letter or my second book to you. And in these letters, I just wanted to stir up your faith and your thinking and, and to stir up your life. To remember these truths that have been, listen, the new heaven and the new earth go all the way back to the Old Testament. Isaiah the prophet wrote about it. It goes actually all the way back to Genesis, this idea of restoration after sin has corrupted the world. And so this is Old Testament stuff, and it's being fulfilled, and Jesus comes, and he talks about the commands of Jesus, and Jesus says, you know, he came, and he died for our sins, and he promises to come again and to live a certain way in light of that. And Peter says, and I'll remind you, you know, his Old Testament prophets talked about this. Jesus commanded some things about it. And all of the apostles, all of this was delivered to you. So I want to remind you about it. And it's just good for us to be reminded about these ultimate things. All right. And so, so Peter is trying to stir them up in the way that they live. That is Christians by these truths that we're going to look at this morning. So let's begin in the passage, 2 Peter 3. We're going to look at verses 3 and 4 to begin with. And we're going to see the last days, mockers and doubters. The last days, mockers and doubters. He says, know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, 
Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Let's stop right there. Here's a first of all. Let me, let me say this. Let me give you a little reminder. The last days. What in the world is that? The last days, biblically speaking, if you remember, I've told you this before, it's from, really from the time of Jesus' first coming, His ascension, when He goes back to heaven, all the way, I think, to His second coming. We're in the last days, and these last days have lasted 2,000 years. So, so the time span and the time frame is a little bit different than we think about as days, but it, that is what the last days are. And so Peter says in this church age, in the last days, I'm going to tell you something. There's going to be mockers when it comes to the fact of God doing what He promised, namely, of remaking everything, bringing about total restoration to the created order. Peter says, I guarantee you, I'm going to tell you, there are going to be mockers in these last days who try to cast doubt who tell you it's not worth changing your life. This, this idea of Christianity and holy living, it's not worth it. Nothing's going to change. And, and you get 70 or 80 years in this life if you're lucky, and you better just milk it for all it's worth. There's going to be people saying things like that. Why are you looking forward to Jesus coming in the clouds or any of that kind of stuff? There are going to be mockers and people who try to strip you of your faith and to make you doubt these things. And specifically, they're going to have arguments like this. And Peter begins to open it up. And look at what he says. He said these people, and, and, and they're motivated by wanting to follow after their own lust. They don't want to be told anything about judgment or about God being in charge or heaven or hell. They don't want to be told about that because they're following their own lust. That's the motive. But what are they going to say to try to mock these Christian truths that we hang our hats on? They're going to say this. Where is it? Where is His coming? Where is the coming of Jesus? I don't see Him anywhere. Have you seen Him? They're going to mock that idea of Jesus coming. Where is His coming? He hasn't come yet. It's been a long time. I think about this. Peter is aged. He's, he's about to die, I think. He knows that His end is near. Maybe so. I don't know. Decades, two, three, four decades have passed since Jesus ascended. And, and the apostles, Peter was one of them, they were thinking about, man, Jesus said he's going to come back. And they were looking for him to come back. I think already in, in Peter's time there were people doing this. I thought you said Jesus was coming back. I thought you said Jesus was coming back soon to usher in his eternal kingdom. He's not here. I haven't seen him. Everything just keeps rocking on just like it always has. All the way back to the fathers. And just ever since the beginning of creation... Some things change, but people come, people go. Life passes away, one generation after another, after another. Nothing has really changed. That's what the mockers and doubters say. Say Jesus lived, and he died, and he's gone. Live your life. That's what they're saying. So there are mockers who would cast doubt or try to. On the idea of the things that we're talking about here, these last things about heaven, the new heavens, the new earth, hell, and judgment. And so Peter now is going to address that. Let's look at verses 5 through 9. As Peter gives an answer to these mockers about the delayed destruction and the delay in the day of judgment, verses 5 through 9. 
For when they maintain this, that is, when the mockers say this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Peter begins his refutation of this idea of the mockers who say, God, is it going to bring judgment? Everything's rocking on. He says they forget something important. The days of Noah. The days of Noah. So, so Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, actually believes that Noah and the ark and the worldwide flood as a judgment of God was a, a real historic event, by the way. Not just a clever story, but it's a real event. He said they forget. It, it eludes their minds that God did bring judgment. On this earth. On an earth that was created through the water and out of the water. He's going back to the way the, the accounts of Genesis. He says, you know, God promised that he was going to bring judgment in the day of Noah. And I wonder how long Noah preached. It says in, in chapter 2 of 2 Peter that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. You can't help but think that as Noah was building the ark to a group of people who had never seen Floods, maybe never seen rain. No, they'd seen pools of water. Noah, what in the world is that? What are you doing? I'm building an ark of salvation that the Lord instructed me. And he told me that floods are coming to destroy the wickedness on this earth. And you can almost hear the preaching of Noah echoing out. And the people laughing and mocking and doubting. What in the world is this religious nutcase doing? And Peter says it escapes them that God did exactly that. There was a day when the rain began to fall. And God destroyed life on the earth through the floods. Except for those who came into the ark of salvation. Except for those who believed God's promise of judgment and came in by faith to that ark. And there were not very many. And Peter says he did exactly what he said he would do. Though there were mockers and doubters and very few believed. So that's argument number one. That, that this idea of judgment is not without precedent in God's economy. It is not without precedent even in this world and on this earth. You can look back at, I think it's in chapter 2 of 2 Peter also, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, which wasn't worldwide, but it was among the people, and he promised it, and he did it, so God has done this in the past. Peter's argument number two, that he would refute the scoffers, is the Lord's timetable is much different than ours. I mean, we're in a hurry. If we're only going to live 60, 70, 80 years, maybe if you're lucky, 90 or 100. I mean, our way of thinking about time and, and, and quickness 
And action is a lot different. And he just says this. The eternal God, for him, a thousand years is like one day for us. So his timetable is far different. So this argument that, well, he hasn't done anything yet. God is on a little different calendar than us. Okay? So that's argument number two that Peter puts forward to the uh, scoffers and the mockers. And that we need to lay hold of today. Argument number three. The Lord is not slow, as some count slowness. He's not behind. He's not off course. He's not forgotten. He's not getting old, and so he moves a little slower now. Nothing like that. He's What is he? He's patient, and he's merciful. And I love this one. He said, I'll, I'll tell you why God maybe hasn't done anything yet. It's because he's patient, and he's merciful. And he doesn't want people to perish. In the judgment. But that all might come to repentance. God wants people to be saved. To come out from under wrath and judgment. That is eternal. God is a God of good news. He's the one that invented the gospel. That instituted salvation. It's from Him. It's His idea. He put it into place. And He wants people to come in to the ark of salvation. He wants people, that is, to accept the gospel and the free gift of salvation through Christ by re repenting of sins and turning and believing in the Lord Jesus. God is a God of salvation. Is He a God of righteous judgment? Yes. The wrath of God is His settled response against sin. He settled in that. And we often can't really put those two things together. But they go together in the character and the nature of God. He hates sin. He hates what sin does to people. He hates the brokenness that's all around. But we are a broken people. And He longs for broken people to be made whole. And so He brings an offer of salvation. And so yes, He's going to judge the world. And every person is going to come under judgment. According to the Bible. Now there's some different things and we're not going to talk about them today. But here's what he wants. He wants when we stand before the judgment seat for the perfection of Christ and the forgiveness and the mercy to be ours and that we're able to come out from under wrath and judgment. He is a God of salvation. If you're here today and you're not saved, I would say to you, God is patient and He's holding open a door for you to be saved. I'll tell you, there's coming a day when the door will close. And we don't know when it is. Let's now move on to see this, when it is. This is verses 10 through 13. It's the day of the Lord and the coming of Christ. The day of the Lord and the coming of Christ. 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to His promise, we're looking forward. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. He says, the day of the Lord. 
Now, the day of the Lord is a fairly vague term, and we think about a day, and we've already learned that a thousand years is, is a day. But I'll tell you this. The day of the Lord will begin on a day. I don't have my phone with me. I keep a little calendar. It's there on my phone, and I try to be vigilant with that. And when I have something coming, I look, or I'm trying to make an appointment, and I say, is there anything on that day that will conflict? Because I know, eventually, though, uh, September and October, and to me, seem a long way off. <laughs> seems like a long way off. But I'll tell you this, I don't want to put something on that calendar unless the Lord does come and things change. That day is coming. That day is coming. The day of the Lord. I think it is the coming of Christ. What is going to usher in this day of the Lord? The new heavens and new earth. Though I think it takes over a span of time. You know what it is? It's the coming of Jesus. We should associate the new heavens and the new earth and judgment and the passing away of the old heavens and earth. We should associate it with the coming of Jesus Christ back to earth. Jesus promised, I am coming again. Just like those first apostles who saw Him ascend, you know, the angel said, just like you've seen Him go, Eyes are going to see Him come. Jesus Christ is coming. And it says He's coming like a thief. What is that? Is it stealthily? Well, He's already announced that He's coming. But, yeah, He doesn't tell us exactly when. So in that way, I think His coming is like a thief. He doesn't give us the day and the hour. Beware of people who give you the day and the hour. I would say turn them off, tune them off, shut their book, whatever. They give you the day and the hour, but he hasn't given us the day or the hour. But you know, a thief, he comes suddenly. I remember growing up and being awakened, in, I think that's the word, awakened, awakened in my bed. Hey, there's someone outside our house. And, uh, and you talk about a freaky deal. And our house was like a, a maze in this little apartment. We're all up and we're all creeping around. And I thought, man, I think my brother's messing with me. I think they're playing jokes on me. And, and sure enough, I remember opening these little blinds. And it was probably, I don't even know what time it was. It was dark and I was groggy. And I remember opening the little blinds and there was someone out in our hedges. No one was ready. But they made a noise. It came suddenly. While we were sleeping. And Christ's return will catch many people sleeping. And not ready. But Jesus says, but for you, Christians, who have this teaching, it shouldn't catch you sleeping. You should be aware. You should know that this is coming. And so the thief comes and catches many unexpectedly. But I think the biggest thing even for us as Christians is, is just to think this. And suddenly, suddenly, he's coming. And what's when he comes? Again, I think the Bible speaks in very clear terms that Jesus is actually going to come down. And the Bible says that every eye is going to behold Him. Here's, here's how I think it looks. Y'all ready for this? I don't know exactly, but, but here's how. I mean, you may watch it on your phone, you may watch it on TV, you may watch it on your internet, but when this happens, you are going to be awakened if you're asleep. And people are going to go out and they're going to look, and I think that the skies are literally going to split wide open. Y'all remember those, those little rotor shades like in the, the 
bathroom or something. I got something in my office, you know. You pull those things back and just reels up. And I think the skies are actually going to roll up. And just like when we go out, we can see the things in the sky, we're going to see Jesus and all of his array coming in power and glory with the ar armies of heaven. That's what I think. But I know this, everybody's going to see it. And look at the day in which we live and news travels, how quickly, from across the world. And this is going to happen on a day, a day just like this. Jesus is going to come back. It's going to catch really all of us are going to be startled by it. But some of us are going to be ready for it. Not going to be. But it's going to come suddenly. And it says when he comes, the first heavens and the earth are going to actually pass away. They're going to, they're going to pass away with a roar. There's going to be a melting of some of the substances and, and like fire. So this judgment is not with flood, but with fire. And a lot of stuff is going to be like wood, hay, and stubble. It's just going to be stuff. Uh, invested in. It's going to be things that we spend our life on. It's just not going to last. It's not going to appear in the new heavens and earth. But some things will. That the fire of God's judgment is going to reveal the things that are worthwhile and the things that are not. The things that are eternal and the things that are not. This is amazing stuff to think about that day of the coming of Christ. Now y'all think I'm a kook, don't you? Because I'm like, I'm going to go back. Hey, let me tell you something. If Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk can travel in space somewhere else, don't you think Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, has the ability, the power, and the technology? If he uses technology, but he's got the jetpack. I don't know. He doesn't need it. Here's the thing. Listen. I, I, he's going to travel from heaven to earth. You know, when Peter was writing these things, people were like, space travel? Seriously? And, and we've seen it actually happen with just... Normal people. Well, I don't know if Bezos and Musk are normal people, but, but you know, they're doing this kind of stuff. And here comes Jesus. And he's going to do exactly what God has promised. And it says in verse 10, the earth and its works. That's interesting. I did not notice that before. The earth and its works. That is the current order, the current state of affairs. Those things are going to be burned up, melting away. Now listen, this is not total destruction, though some things are going to be destroyed in that flood, in that fire. There are going to be some worthless, useless things, even in the Christian's life, that will be burned up. And there's going to be a passing away. The old things will go away. The same God who spoke the universe and spoke all of creation into existence, He'll speak the new creation into existence. But there is a process that's going on here and he says, and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth to take its place. A whole new redeemed and recreated order. It's amazing. Hey, listen, this whole passage is not a passage to lost people. People who don't know Christ trying to scare them into heaven. Though it would be appropriate to give heed to these words and think about things to come. This passage is written to Christians. And he said, these things are going to happen. What sort of persons ought you to be? How should you order your life? How do you live in light of these things? They should instill, these things should instill confidence and hope in Christians. Knowing that Jesus is going to come back just like he said. 
God is going to do exactly what He has said. He's going to make all things new. That picture of the new heavens and earth and, and the holy Jerusalem coming down as a city from heaven that we looked at last week. All of those things are going to happen. And it's going to be amazing. So the question is, how do we live this day in light of that day? How do we live this day in our lives in light of that day? How should the promise of a new heaven and new earth and the the coming of Christ for judgment and restoration, how should we live? How does it impact us now? And I think that's verses 11 through 18, and we'll wrap it up. And this is where it gives us the present-day application. All right, let's read that. Since all these things are to be destroyed, that is, the heavens and the earth that are current and, and the works of the earth, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we're looking for new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in Him, by Him, in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable destroy, as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Why do we need to know about the new heavens and new earth? Why do we need to, why should I preach about this for a couple of weeks? Why do we need to get our minds on things above? It's not so you can win Bible trivia on New Year's Eve with your friends. It's not so that you can win some complicated end times argument at lunch with your Christian buddies. It should change the way that we live. That's what he's saying. The certainty of the coming day of Christ, the new heavens and new earth, and the passing of the old should do these things. Really quickly, you know, this is the way I rephrase them from what I see in this passage. Verses 11 through 13, it should redirect our vision. It is something that we should look forward to and think about often. It redirects our vision. It's amazing how many times in that passage he talks about looking at this and your eyes beholding that. Look at it. We should realize that what we ultimately are looking forward to is the restoration that Jesus Christ brings. Where is our hope? Where is our ultimate hope? Is it in things of this world? No. It's in the things that are laid up for us in heaven. Our citizenship, the Bible says, Philippians chapter 3, is in heaven. So we're looking forward to God fulfilling all of His promises. And so the question is, are we investing there? You know what I've noticed? When we're really excited about something, when a big thing is on the horizon, you know what we do? We spend our time, we spend our thoughts, we spend our energies, we spend our money for that thing that we're looking forward to, this big thing that's coming. And I think that's what he's giving us to look at here. Hey, look at where our hope is. 
this great thing that is the greatest thing. And yes, it's even better than a newborn baby. New heavens, a new earth. This next Wednesday, we'll be starting a four-week series on Wednesday nights for adults. Brandon Cohn is teaching over in the uh, Life Center. I'll be doing something similar, uh, probably less detailed, during our prayer meeting time over here. It's a study called The Treasure Principle. It's looking at how eternity impacts the way we invest here. Yes, it talks about money. And I think that Peter helps us. He says, look, that's where our hope is at. It redirects our vision and our hearts. Secondly, in verses 14 and 15, how does this truth impact our daily life today? It reminds us to persevere in peace, purity, and patience. Persevere in peace, purity, and patience. Man, if you're trying to live a Christian life, and maintain your pure purity of heart before the Lord. Sometimes living in a broken world can be downright disturbing. There are things constantly happening and brought before our eyes and temptations that come. And there are things even sometimes we see in Christians' lives that are, seem so dark and so heinous that it's like, man, I don't know. I don't know about this stuff. We see what's going on in our world, the killing and the division. We, we see what's going on in Afghanistan, as someone even mentioned during our intercessory prayer time. And you know, you think about people over there who are trying to spread the gospel and maybe going to lose their life for it. You look at how uh, countrymen can slay their own countrymen. You look at the terror of people's heart and you go, this world is tough. And sometimes you just want to throw up your hands and give up. And especially as Christians, our hearts are burdened and we get frustrated. And he says, you, you need to live at peace, knowing God's plan is coming. God is going to deal with all of these things. So he says, live in peace. Wouldn't you like to have peace in a troubled world? Did you know it's possible? And in large measure for Christians, I would say it's our choice to yield to the truth and to the Holy Spirit to live at peace. Hey, live at peace and live with purity. Temptations are going to come. Try to suck us into the worldly stuff. Live in purity and then be patient. Realize that God is bringing about His plan. And in all of that, you know, one of the things that I see is something we've been focusing on the last few weeks, and that is He has just said that God is patient. Why is God patiently holding off His judgment? Somebody remember? Anybody? Why, why is God patiently holding off judgment? So that people would be saved. And don't you think if God was patiently waiting to bring about the day of the Lord so that people would be saved, then His church should be patiently waiting with Him. And waiting means helping people come to knowledge of Jesus Christ. Sharing the gospel. If God is withholding, bringing about this great reality so that people can come in to the ark of salvation, we need to do our part to open the door, to tell them what the ark is all about, to tell them that Jesus saves and that He's kind and merciful and He longs to bring them in to salvation. We need to do our part. So we patiently endure. And then the last thing, 
is that this teaching about the new heavens and the new earth and that day, it should renew our vigilance. Renew our vigilance. Look at what he says there in verse 17 and 18. So you know these things, Christian. So be on your guard. Be on your guard that you don't fall prey so that you're not carried away by these false teachers, by these mockers, by those who are in error. Don't be carried away into the dissipation of this world, but stand steadfast. Hold the line until Jesus comes or until He takes us to be with Him. Hey, we are in a spiritual battle, my friends. We are in a spiritual battle. And the enemy would like nothing better than to pull you out of the door of the ark. Now, we could get into some pretty uh, hairy discussions here about salvation and all. Could someone fall from grace and things like that? I would just point you and say this. He says, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your steadfastness. It could be that what he's got in mind is that you could lose your reward. But I know this. I know what a warning looks like in the Bible. And that's a warning. That is a warning that you not let down your guard. Do not put down your shield. Do not put down your sword in the spiritual battle. But what should you do? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love how he closes. To Jesus be the glory both now and on the day eternity to the day of eternity and right now we can only see Jesus in his glory with eyes of faith but that's enough until that day when he breaks the skies wide open and he ushers in a day of judgment a day of destruction for the ungodly that's what the passage says and he brings about the new heaven and new earth Right now we see by eyes of faith. One day we will see with these physical eyes. Jesus coming in great power, in great glory. And we will see him for all of eternity. If we belong to him. If we belong to him. So Christian, be at peace. Maintain your purity. And persevere in the faith. And be about the Father's business, which is inviting people to come to know Jesus. And I want to have a brief time of invitation. If you're here today, you've never accepted Christ and His invitation to come in to the family of God, to be saved, to come out from under the wrath of God in judgment, to be adopted as sons or daughters of God. Today is the day of salvation. You can leave this place a radically, totally different person with a new heart, a new hope, and a new direction by giving your life to Jesus. Would you bow with me? If you're here today and 
you know that you need to be saved. That begins in your heart. Now, something you do outwardly, first of all, and something in it's turning from sins, recognizing, admitting them before God, and asking Him to save you because of what Jesus did. Submitting your life to Him. The invitation is a knock at your heart's door. Would you open the door to Him today? And if you've done that, then He calls us to publicly profess our faith before men. To do that. If you're here today, maybe you've believed on Jesus the first time today, or maybe you did that some time back, maybe years back, but you've never publicly professed faith in Jesus. Maybe you've never followed in believer's baptism. I would just invite you to come forward today and get that settled. Profess Jesus as your Lord publicly. Confess Him with your mouth as your Savior. Get that settled today. If that's you, I would invite you to come. You can respond at this time. Respond by finding the others. And then, last of all, Christian, if you're here today and you're battle weary, the arrows that seem to keep flying towards you, you already know that you've let your guard down, your shield down, you feel helpless. Let me call you back into the battle. in the godless generation. To confess your sin is sin and get back on the right path. Ask the Lord today to help you, to arm you for the battle, to protect you. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety or fear or unworthiness or whatever in your heart today. Would you do this? Would you ask God to carry your burden? Cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. You can do that right where you sit. Lord, help us today to stand strong in the day of battle, to keep our eyes on the prize, to know that the, actually the war has been won. Lord, renew our faith and our strength today. Renew our hope.